This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Gorber, your host of the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio on Instagram Live. Here for you, here for your pets. I got my thumbs up for Mark, so um, we're good to go. I want to hear about some questions, whatever you got. First of all, I got to tell you, for those of you not in LA, today is a gorgeous day. It is like, it, I don't see a cloud in the sky. It's blue. I was out early and... Um, yeah, it was um, it's a great day. So those of you who aren't here, I feel sorry for you, unless you're someplace that's also really good. Mark, how is it in Florida now? Awesome. So Mark, our producer, is in Fort Lauderdale. He says it's also really, really nice there, too. And yeah, in Florida, it's pretty nice. So um, it's a little more muggy, but but it's uh, it's nice. So anyway, uh, wait, we have a question. New York Yankee, 15 half year old dog. We diagnosed with vestibular disease. What we can do to make her comfortable? So First of all, let's talk about vestibular disease. It's just something that comes on really suddenly, and it creates an imbalance. It has to do with the middle and inner ear. So the dog's whole plane of, of normal, of equilibrium, is totally off. So for them, instead of being like this, it's like this. So they are continually circling in that direction because they're trying to right it, but it's not fixable. So they are continually they're circling. They'll sometimes... They will literally get down on the ground, almost like an army crawl, because they are so afraid to move because their world is just spinning. And it just happens. It's called idiopathic vestibular disease. And we often joke when we talk about a, a condition or disease that is idiopathic, basically saying we're a bunch of idiots and we can't figure out why it's happening. So it is idiopathic. It just happens on its own. So treatment. First of all, because we don't really exactly know what's happening and why it's happening, it's really hard to treat it. However, symptomatically, we can do a couple of things. Number one, simple over-the-counter, meclizine. Meclizine, trade name is Bonine. You'll find it next to Dramamine at, at the you know, Walgreens or CVS or Rite Aid. And it's motion sickness. So it, it will kind of help a little bit with the vertigo because the thought is that there may be an inflammatory component. Sometimes we put these dogs on steroids. The good news is that traditionally it lasts for a couple of days and it gets better on its own. So typically, these signs go away. Now, here's one thing you can do to tell whether it's truly idiopathic vestibular disease, IVD. What I tell people to do is grab your dog by the cheeks, like so hold his head steady and stare him straight in the eyes. And dogs with IVD, you're going to notice something called nystagmus, and the eyes are going to be flickering. It's going to be a fast component, and then a slow back to the other side, fast, slow back, to the, fast, slow back to the other side. And you'll see the eyes doing that. That is a telltale sign of IVD, idiopathic vestibular disease. So the bad news is it makes them feel miserable and there's no direct treatment. We don't even exactly know what and why it's happening. The good news is that it's somewhat controllable. And the best part is that it usually goes away by itself. It might take a couple of days. And uh, they, now we had growing up, and I have two of my sibs here on the show with me today. We had a white German shepherd. Her name was Sheba. She used to get these when she got older all the time. And she finally, after who knows, the third, fifth, seventh one, she used to get a lot. Every time she got better, but for her last couple of years, and she lived quite well, almost 17, but her last year or two, her, her normal was, was like this. Her, it was Hawkeye, but that was her normal. But she finally, it worked and she was doing great, but she had a little head tilt for the rest of her little uh, long life. So she did pretty well. Okay. 
Let me say hello, hello, hello. I want questions. Other things, we got some things we could talk about. I always have things. Yes. Uh, right. So she's, she's, she right, she's uh, right tilts, turns over a lot. And yes, that is exactly what happens. Give it a couple of days. Try that. Try the other thing. Okay. Here we go. Halo fan 53. My cat was recently diagnosed with diabetes. She's currently on prescription food, no meds yet. What are your thoughts of the new drugs for feeling diabetes? As I'll show you insulin. Well, there are a number of good drugs out there. Typically, the diabetes that cats get is what we call type two. Type one is juvenile onset diabetes. It's like what we see in people. And in uh, dogs, there's always, regardless of when they get diabetes, it's always type one. So dogs get, we call insulin dependent diabetes. That's what they have. Cats, on the other hand, uh, get type two diabetes. It's often associated with obesity. It just happens. As I said, it could be diet related. Well, certainly obesity is diet related, like too much of it. So there are some good meds that can be used and might help. What I have found and it's just me, is that usually when I first see it, because their sugar levels are so high, we really got to bring them down. I will start these cats on insulin. And there's some good insulins for cats. And so then we try why we start these medications. We start reducing the insulin and see if we can get to a point where we can eliminate the insulin completely. But of course, diet, diet modification is key. There are a number of diets out there that are supposedly helpful for these type 2 diabetics, actually for type 1 also. There's also, there's MD, there's DM, so like diabetes mellitus, mellitus diet. So you need to speak with your veterinarian, but I am totally a fan. Look, if we can get these cats totally on medication, of course that's better. I mean, first of all, one of the biggest problems with treating diabetes is it requires injections on a regular basis, usually twice a day. For a lot of you, I know that's hard to get them to inject them twice a day. So you actually opt for something that an alternative would be the medication. However, early on, I don't think the medication works as well to rely on it solely. So I think we have to get them that sugar down to a more natural level before we rely totally on the medication. But again, I'm a 100% fan of trying it, uh, but you might want to start with a little insulin first, but again, speak with your doc. All right. Uh, hello, Michelle. Best time to fix a female puppy. Okay, that's a great question. Now, if I were to answer this 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have said just before their first teeth, as soon as their adult teeth are in, we used to say, okay, it's time to spay. That has changed. And it's changed because of some scientific data in certain breeds and some empirical data in others. The bottom line is now, let's go backwards. Why? Why was it so important? Why did we have the people spay before the first heat because there were studies have shown that if you spay a dog prior to a first heat, you virtually eliminate the threat of breast cancer, mammary cancer as an older dog, roughly by 98%. It was amazing. So of course, you know, a lot of dogs get mammary cancer. So it was a great thing to do. But then we started realizing there are other problems associated with waiting, letting them have their first estrus. For example, there was a link possibly between urinary incontinence in older spayed females that were spayed too young. Certain cancers. In fact, here's a scary one that got everybody's eyes open. There was a study, uh, it was on large breeds, it was on actually Rottweilers. A lot of large breed dogs can get osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer, which typically is deadly. Okay, uh, You amputate, you can do radiation, you can do chemo, but ultimately it's going to take them. So what did this study note in Rottweilers? And I believe we extrapolated, well, if it happens in, in a Rottweiler because of the cancer, why would it be different in another dog? It's probably the exact same. So here was the thing. It was 
a 65% greater incidence in long bone cancer in male dogs that were pre-pubertally neutered, and a 35% greater incidence in long bone cancer, of course, as an adult senior dog, in females that were pre-pubertally spayed. Oh my God, that's huge, huge. What are the ramifications of letting them have one heat? What happens to the mammary cancer? Well, here's the story. The mammary cancer reduction does drop to about 88 to 90% reduction. Still pretty darn good. Now, if you let them have that second heat or litter on the first heat, the risk reduction goes to zero, no help at all. So we said, you know what? Is it worth that eight to nine to 10% difference in mammary cancer reduction to get a 35% greater incidence and hopefully prevent the um, incontinence and other things as well. So that's a long answer. The short answer to your question is that we want to let them have one heat that usually comes at seven months. Not all dogs read the same book that I read, and they might come at nine, 10, 11 months, which is okay. We used to think they had a silent heat. And according to a friend of mine uh, who is a reproductive specialist, who not only went to vet school at the same time I did, she was a couple of years behind me. I also knew her from, from Berkeley as an undergrad. Also, Labrador girl, Dr. Autumn Davidson, that most of these dogs actually just have a delayed first heat. They're going to have it. And sometimes it can be as late as 11 or 12 months, but they usually happen every seven months. They usually start at seven months. And then so the next one's at 14 months. Therefore, I recommend spaying between 11 and 13 months of age. And that's a, a long. Now, what are some of my exceptions? When you have a small breed dog, okay, that often don't get bone cancer, which they usually don't, then what is the negative? The negative is this, that a lot of these small breeds don't lose their baby teeth on schedule. They get what's called retained deciduous teeth. Now, if I take off my reproduction hat and put on my dental hat, those teeth are going to be a problem and the veterinary dentists recommend they be pulled. The baby teeth, these deciduous baby teeth that have not fallen out on their own need to be pulled as soon as the adult tooth starts coming in, as soon as you see it actually breaking through the gum. If it hasn't fallen out yet, you got to pull it. Why? Because the presence of that baby tooth, that retained baby tooth, that deciduous tooth, affects the location and the occlusion because it changes the root where that adult teeth and how that adult tooth is going to come through the gums. So that's why it's so important that we need to make room for that tooth so we don't have something called malocclusion crowding teeth that maybe need braces down the road. I'm not saying you're going to get braces on your dogs, but if it affects the bite, if it affects their ability to chew, then it's necessary. If that lower canine, which usually is pushed inward, starts hitting the upper palate, the hard palate, that's a problem. So we got to pull those teeth sooner, which may mean that you have a choice. If you want to satisfy both, then you're going to have two anesthesias in a young dog. One, the first one around five to six months of age to pull the baby teeth. Then the second one to the spay. If you, some people opt for it, when, if they have these small breeds, then just spay them at that time. Since they don't get bone cancer anyway, that's not a big deal. And if they get a little incontinence, we, we can treat it you know, as we get it. So anyway, that's the answer. So my recommendation, always have the, your veterinarian check the teeth, especially with small breeds, to make sure there are no retained deciduous teeth. Those need to be pulled ASAP. And then plus or minus spam at the time. Look, let me say this also. Our modern anesthetics are really, really, really safe. And if it means knock them out for a quickie, sometimes the, the deciduous teeth, it's a very fast procedure. Knock them out for that. Get those teeth out of the way. And then for the, the spay, you could do that, you know, 11, 12 months of age. Anyway, hope that helped. Serenia. Serenia is for vomiting. Now, if, if a dog is 
having vestibular issues and vomiting because of it, you might want to try something else. Try something else. Talk about Zofran on Dancitron. There's some other anti-emetics that could be helpful if the vestibular disease is affecting the dog. Let's see. There was another question that came in. Oh, best time we did that. Fix the female. Sereni has uh, two weeks on the vestibular. Okay, now, if we have two weeks on a 15-year-old dog, 15 and a half, now that can change things. Because now we're not looking at, we may not be looking at IVD, idiopathic vestibular disease. We may be looking at a brain lesion. So if something like this is going on, not responding to Serenia, no improvement, and going on this long, it's time for that MRI. So, uh, you know, I hate to say it, they're very expensive, but there is a likelihood. You know, sometimes you have to take the blinders off and look at the big picture and say, okay, if it were, and I look at it backwards, if it were IVD, it would be getting better. They use usually not a lot of vomiting. Okay. And it would probably be responding better to Serenia. And it doesn't usually, I mean, it can happen with a 15 year old dog, but like with Sheba or Shepherd, it started happening when she was like eight or nine. If you have it that it's not getting better, there's no response, then I would think that there may be, not there is, but there may be something else going on as well, an underlying problem. And at at a dog that age, would it be terribly surprising to have a, a, a tumor? The answer is not at all. So if you really want to pursue this, the next step would be a brain scan. All right. Hello, Janice. Uh, okay. It's a yearly physical exam necessary for my seven-year-old French bulldog. Hitch seems like I can't get some Perico trio without cost of the exam. Okay. No, it's not a conspiracy. So you know what? It's a great question. and I want to share it with everybody. So we're going to take our break here on Pet Life Radio. Mark will be uh, right back after these short words. And when we come back, I want to talk about this because I just did a whole piece on annual exams, et cetera, et cetera, when appropriate, when not appropriate, when veterinarians are trying to take advantage, possibly when not. It's just stuff that we need to just talk about because there are a number of answers. There's no easy answer. But we'll be right back after these short messages here on Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Okay, and we're back. Okay, so before the break, we had uh, two questions revolving around the need for medical supplements. One was Semperica, one was Apoquil, and the need for an exam and a blood test. And now I know that the first one was dog was seven on the Semperica trio. And for Kaylin, the Yorkie was 11. Now, my feelings. So first of all, I've never been one because I'm a terrible patient, by the way. And I've never gone in. My parents never took me in when I was 13. 15, 20, 25 to get full blood panel and, and everything. Okay. I think that, in my opinion, that's a little overkill. And now I'm assuming everything is healthy. That's very important to note. Let's specify a healthy, healthy, healthy animal. Does it need to come in at four and three and five and even six 
just for routine lab work. Now, pre-anesthetic, absolutely. Dog's not doing well, vomiting, having a problem, ADR, ain't doing right, not eating. Oh, absolutely. I'm talking a perfectly healthy dog running around, doing everything right, normal stools, normal everything, and you're coming in for just for annual vaccines. Are you going to take bloods when they're three or four or five or six? My answer, my answer, no. Now, now let's talk about seven. For large breeds, seven. For small breeds and cats, eight is when they start really, that's like a person who's 50. And that's where they're, now you want to start having a baseline senior panel, I think that is indicated. And even if they're totally healthy, in fact, I often use that line. Someone comes in for something, they're good vaccines, eight years old, everything is perfect, teeth are great, right? And I say, oh, now it's time. I look back at my records. I say, God, there's no, we haven't done bloods in, in ever, at least here, have done bloods anywhere else in the last six months, a year, no. And I say, even if there was no problem, even if you were coming in for skin problem today, I would tell you perfectly healthy, normal dog at this age, should have their at least their first lab work. Most likely it's going to be more than one because sometimes before dental, before an anesthesia, which are required way before this, there's a, a pre-anesthetic lab work. It's sometimes it's not a full panel, just to look at the basics. So that would be okay. Now, so now you have dogs, one seven, one for Semperica, one is 11, and the doctor is saying we need to see. So here's my answer. If the dog is doing great, and there have been bloods within the last at least six to eight months. That's This is doctor preference. I would go actually a year, but I'm very conservative when it comes to stuff like this. Some are more aggressive and they will say, okay, if we've had lab work within the last six months, which is perfect, and the dog is still acting perfectly, then we're good. We're good. I'll refill it. If they haven't, if you don't have that, I can see why, yes, they want to make sure that the animal is fine because if there's a problem, and then it's determined that it, there may be something that, like a liver disease that you didn't know about, and you gave a medication, right, uh, like Apoquil, and it had a bad effect, then that veterinarian could be liable for like a little bit of a negligence because he didn't check first. Conversely, if they could check and say, look, we know that there's a little liver problem, so we're going to start this medication, but here's what we have to watch out for. Or when they, let's say it's coming to not a Semperica, not an Apoquil, but a non-scrotal anti-inflammatory. And we know that we have some anti-inflammatories out there that are better suited for dogs with liver or kidney problems. So that's why it's important to know. Is it going to definitely stop us from using it? Not necessarily. But are we going to use one that's more appropriate that might be safer? Of course. Same thing with Semperica. Seven-year-old dog, especially if it's a big breed, and even if it's acting fine, if there hasn't been a recent blood done, and I mean recent, within the last, you know, at least six months, a year, possibly, then it would be the prudent thing to do because you want to make sure that things are okay before throwing a chemical at them. Now, is it true that Semperica, the chemical, the, the isoxazolines don't really have much of, a, of an effect on a, on a dog, at, on a mammal at all? Yes, that is true. But we do know, for example, that some of them can predispose dogs that have had seizure activity to seizures. So why take the chance? So yes, for a dog that age with Semperica, if there has not been a recent blood for a female Yorkie 11, for Apoquil, I think it is appropriate. But at that age at 11, even if you, you just came in for, I have just here, my you know, vaccines are good, I need Bordetella, I would recommend bloods anyway, assuming they have not been done. So anyway, there's my answer. If you have any questions about that, uh, let me go. This is not having to do with the companies and the veterinarians. No, this has to do a lot with the veterinarian who wants to be, make sure that things are okay. Where I would argue, and I have argue, is if there, it's a 
medication or it's the dog is going in for the same thing, but it's only four or five and it's acting 100% fine, I would take that risk. Now, might I say something? Look, watch it very carefully. If it's the first time we're using it, if there's any change in behavior, any change in appetite, you know, let me know right away. Of course, I would give that warning. But would I require blood work for either of those two? I would say no. So it, it really becomes boils down to personal preference. All right. I hope that answers your question. I was uh, that was a long answer to a potentially easy question. All right, let me see. Let me see. Renal dysplasia question above. Renal dysplasia. I didn't see the question, so let me see. Fluffs and It is something I must have really missed it. Renal dysplasia can happen. It is one of those things that can happen in a younger dog, and they all of a sudden it might have a congenital component, and all of a sudden you see a young healthy dog who starts seeing signs of kidney problem, elevations of BUN and creatinine and phosphorus, drinking a lot of water, your excessive urination, the urine is more dilute, all these things. And you take a blood test and you see all these things and you say, well, I said, the dog was fine. You know, six months ago or a year ago, you did pre-anesthetic lab work for the dental. Everything was good. So yes, there is a disease that can be that way. And they think it's an, it, when you see an early onset renal disease, it could be a renal dysplasia. You have to treat it just like a regular kidney case. You start obviously giving them plenty of water, maybe flushing their kidneys out, possibly a kidney diet for sure. Uh, if they have a high phosphorus, you want to get a phosphate binder, a Pacotin or, or, or like a, an ammonium hydroxide or ammonium chloride. So some of these things are might, might be helpful, but it's a progressive disease usually. And once it starts, it's going to start. So it is something that's difficult to deal with. And, and man, it can come on pretty quickly. I've had cases where a dog came in for routine lab work for some reason, everything was fine. And three months later, they're back and everything is off the charts high. Of course, usually when we get more of a sudden onset of something, we're looking to, okay, what did they get a hold of? Did they get a hold of xylitol? Was that a cat that you know, got a hold of lilies, you know, plants? You know, these things we know are nephrotoxic. So the raisins and grapes, we therefore always ask those questions first, but it could be just a case of, you know, sad case of renal dysplasia. All right. Uh, hello, what can cause a rescue dog to get frequent diarrhea? Okay. So good question. Thank you. Let me just say a couple more waves. Good audience today. Thank you so much. This is great. All right. Rescue dog to get frequent diarrhea. Diarrhea. Well, my first question is, how's the animal acting? How's the dog doing? I assume it's a dog doing otherwise. Is it eating? Happy? Alert? Playful? If everything is good. And if especially in the stool has, might have a little mucus lining sometimes, it's kind of like cow patty mush, maybe uh, a little blood. So that's called colitis. That's large bowel diarrhea. So what causes that? Here's the list. It's a long one, but it's a good list. Nerves, stress, anxiety, diet, diet change, excitement, eating something you shouldn't have, and of course, parasites. So in an adult dog, do I usually think about parasites? No. But in a rescue, that I would 100% want to rule out Giardia. Now, new home, nerve stress, anxiety, excitement, different foods, diet, diet change. So all these things can contribute. So obviously, the first thing you do is run a fecal test. You got to get a fecal, including Giardia, and to see if it is a parasite. If that's negative, I would think the others. I don't panic. I can add a little fiber to the diet, bran, cooked oatmeal, canned pumpkin, cooked sweet potato, bran flakes, psyllium, very small amount. If you get too much bran, then they're gonna, it's going to soften the stool. It's just a little bit, all right? A probiotic might help to normalize the gut flora. And lastly, I would say I put them on something like metronidazole, which is flagell. And that often is a, is a good antibiotic for the flagellates that populate the large bowel, the colon. And that, along with the probiotic, might help as well. So, you know, it's getting the good bacteria, the probiotics. So, 
That's what I'd recommend. If it happens beyond that, then there's some more to talk about. But I would, uh, I would have no qualms doing that. Blood work less than two. Okay, so less than two months ago, I had blood work. Then I, and if it was normal, then I'm not going to comment. I wouldn't require it uh, again if we just had that blood work that recently, and nothing's changed in her behavior, in her attitude, anything like that. Do puppies diarrhea? But happy and active. He's in the taste of wild puppy foods. Best to give him chicken. Yes, you can add a little pumpkin. The rice, no, no rice. Rice is a little too binding. But while we're on the subject, by the way, of food, let me just say, because this came through, I wanted to share it with you. Food recalls. The Mid-America Pet Food, they're based in Texas. Their brand is called Victor. They've had major 35 of their varieties have been recalled because of salmonella. So check with your food if you are feeding those foods. Anything by Mid-America or Victor brand, I would uh, be really careful. And one last warning I wanted to mention, and that is the fact that it is getting colder. But you wouldn't know it from today here in LA, or according to our producer, Mark, you wouldn't know it from being in Florida right now. But it is getting colder across many parts of the country. We are getting close to the end of fall, starting December. We're going to be in winter. So antifreeze. Antifreeze is extremely toxic. We talked about kidney. Very, very toxic to dogs. It's typically very sweet. It's ethylene glycol, so it has a very sweet taste. So when it's coming out of the radiator, dripping under the car, maybe you should get an electric car. Um, no, anyway, I'm just kidding. But the that was a bad idea. I love my electric car. But it is potentially deadly, and they will keep going back to it. If you have it in the garage, right? Now, there was supposedly something implemented years ago that there were a lot of the major companies were adding bitters to their antifreeze to make it not taste so good. But still, not everyone done it. There are brands out there that are pre-ethylene glycol, very dangerous. So again, be really, really careful with antifreeze and your dogs. Make sure in the house, uh, you keep it well, well closed up. First vaccination on Thursday. If the diarrhea was before that, then not related. If it happened since the diarrhea, then that could be just also a reaction. Remember, nerves, anxiety, stress, that could be uh, all part of it. And hello, uh, hello, dog rescue. Alexis, how are you? Okay, good. I think we get everybody. Perfect, perfect. Okay. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me here on Pet Life Radio, here on Instagram Live. Um, if you have any questions, Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. I will get your questions. We'd love to have you join us here on the show live. And then here on Instagram Live, you're already joining us live. Just get a hold of me on Instagram. I will help you with your questions. Love talking to you guys. And anything I can do that helps you, that uh, helps me because it makes me a happy guy. All right. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel here on Pet Life Radio. And if I didn't get to anybody, I will give me a, let me just get me, let me take my cat to the vet, coughing with my hairball. Turns out the edge gonpritis. Okay. 25 days inhaler. Okay. Yes. We'll talk about it. bronchitis. It's often allergic bronchitis. I would say not common, but not uncommon to see in cats and steroids decrease inflammation, and those inhalers work really well. Uh, you want to get to something called AeroCat. I'm sure they've talked to you about it. It's a device they put over the cat's muzzle, and you just they put the inhaler in, and they it forces them to inhale it, to breathe it in. AeroCat, A-E-R-O-K-A-T. All right, good. Next week, we'll see you then. See you at Pet Life Radio. See you next week. And any questions during the week, just send them to me. We'll talk about it. We'd love to share. Trust me, any question you have, someone else has that same question. I can answer one question. I'm answering for five or ten different people, so I think it's great. All right. Be well. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.